from WDEV in Waterbury. Welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. Thanks for joining us. It's Wednesday, January 10th, and we're glad to have you along for a packed show today. Snow on the ground, rain in the air, although it seems to be winding down, thousands without power. But central Vermont, uh, unlike the past, seems to have not taken a direct hit. Most of the action appears to be in the Champlain Valley. Uh, Big news, it is my mother's birthday today. Joan Ferguson Ellis, 92 years old, the pride of Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey, Vassar College of class of 1951, mother of three, wife of Corson Ellis and lover of the U.S. Constitution. Happy birthday, Mom. I'll talk to you later. We went through uh, early this morning uh, on her phone to try to make sure that she could click on the live stream on the WDEV website to make sure she could listen. Today on the show, the Democratic legislature is in its second week and is trying to figure out how to deal with flood resilience, build housing, and promote public safety amid warnings from our Republican governor, Phil Scott, about too much spending and a need for permit reform to build that housing faster. I think the governor uh, is going to make an announcement uh, at uh, noon today. That'll be carried live on WDEV. Uh, Can't wait to hear about that. And we'll get into all that with a Republican senator in the middle of trying to carry out the governor's agenda while also dealing with a Democratic legislature that seems to have most of the power. Uh, Senator Randy Brock is going to join us to talk about how how the governor tries to get done what he wants to get done when the Republicans are in such a severe minority. Also on the show, baby bonds, a seemingly simple idea that has been around for years but never seriously implemented in Vermont or the United States. Why not give every new baby in Vermont some money, invest that money so that when they turn 18 – The money invested in the market has grown to the point where they can use it to buy something or pay for college. We will get to that and the proposal with the proposer of that idea, state treasurer, Michael Pichek. And lastly, did you notice that story in VT Digger the other day about the lack of potable water in many Vermont schools? I did. Turns out that schools from Craftsbury and Morgan and down into Dover are under orders not to drink the water and have to buy water. The WDEV studio is sponsored by Sticks and Stuff and Swat and Lumber, Vermont and upstate New York's largest independent home center. Howard. The, the Vermont Digger reporter who broke that story joins us at 1030. All that and your phone calls today, give us a shout at 244-1777. Send your emails to me at vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. But first, this quick Wednesday essay. While you might not have known about the lack of potable water in Vermont schools, you probably did know that the president of Harvard University, Claudine Gay, resigned a couple of weeks ago. Every time you think that the changing nature of our politics cannot get any stronger or break any more norms, something else happens. And it happened to Claudine Gay. First, she walked into a hornet's nest of partisanship in the United States Congress, where Representative Elise Stefanik wanted wanted an answer to this question. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules on bullying and harassment? Gay responded, quote, 
The rules around bullying and harassment are quite specific, and if the context in which that language is used amounts to bullying and harassment, then we take we take action against it. Stefanik, you right, might remember, is one of those members of Congress who is a strong supporter of the uh, former President Donald Trump, now calls herself part of the mega crowd. Uh, she is uh, uh, doubtful about the results of the 2020 election. Uh, Gay's legalistic hemming and hawing to Stefanik's questions led to a firestorm of criticism. First, the University of Pennsylvania president resigned. Then, conservative D.C publication accused Gay of plagiarizing her doctoral dissertation. Two weeks later, after the usual firestorm on Twitter, Gay was out. Her academic under 24-7 police protection because dozens of, of death threats. The chair of the search committee that hired Gay as the first black woman to run Harvard was Penny Pritzker, heir to the Hyatt Hotel Fortune and chief fundraiser for former President Barack Obama. Pritzker had been Gay's biggest supporter. Two weeks after the controversy, she called Gay to let her know that she was in big trouble. And a few days later, Gay resigned. Politically, the resignations of two Ivy League presidents over, I'm not exactly sure what, is it failure to speak correctly about her, Israel and Hamas? Is it plagiarism? Or is it just that we are all out to get each other for some kind of political advantage so we can raise money or win an election or just feel good about beating up on someone? I've never been a huge Harvard defender. With an endowment of $50 billion, they can defend themselves, and they have a lot to answer for over the last 200 years. But I can't help but wonder whether it's worth it for all of us to take down Claudine Gay at Harvard who received so many death threats that police were dispatched to her home to protect her family. Surely there has to be a better way to conduct ourselves in our politics. Our guest is Mike Pichak, the Vermont State Treasurer, and he has a proposal. Invest some money at the birth of every Vermont child and watch it grow. And years later, they can use that money for something important. Treasurer Pichak, welcome back to Vermont Viewpoint. Hi, Kevin. Thank you very much for having me. So tell us, uh, baby bonds, how does it work and where did you get the idea? Yeah, well, I'll start with the idea first because um, I think maybe a lot of people can resonate with this. But, you know, I think about my own uh, childhood and and, and growing up and, and the family that I was surrounded with. And on my dad's side of the family, you know, back a, a couple of generations had immigrated from Poland. And my grandparents, you know, they were not well off by any means, um, but they would go out of their way to set aside a $100 savings bond for me on my birthday. Or um, if something happened and they had a windfall, they would put aside $100 for me in a savings bond. And you know, and that all accumulated. And by the time I grew up and was looking to buy my first um, home, you know, those savings bonds added up to seven, eight, nine, ten thousand dollars, something in that range. And and it was critical for me buying my first home. And um, that idea, that that privilege that many people um, are fortunate enough to have you know, is not always the case. And, and particularly, obviously, families that are in poverty and children that are in poverty, 
so they really start out their lives as young adults um, at a disadvantage. Um, so that is that is sort of the the personal story I had with trying to think of this concept and this idea. Um, it came to life about a year ago when I was at a state treasurer's conference and I was visiting with my friend Eric Russell, who's the state treasurer in Connecticut, and he told me about this program that they had just implemented uh, in Connecticut called Baby Bonds, and it was designed to tackle uh, generational poverty. Um, It was designed to uh, help rural communities and rural economic development. Uh, It was designed to help retain young people in Connecticut, and that sounded very attractive to me because those are some of the policy objectives we are trying to solve uh, here in Vermont as well. So uh, how does it work me- mechanically? So the, the concept in Connecticut, and that's what we have uh, built our proposal around, uh, is that every child that's born on Medicaid, that's sort of the, um, that's sort of the, the targeted group uh, that is uh, being focused on uh, because of the financial position of them at birth within their family. Um, so every child born on Medicaid uh, would have $3,200 set aside for them. That $3,200 would be um, invested in a pool, and it would be invested by the treasurer's office. And then between the ages of 18 and 30, that child can claim their baby bond um, based on you know estimates for investment return. At the age of 18, that bond would grow to like 11500 At the age of 30, it would be closer to $24,000. Um, They can claim their bond, and they can claim it for four specific wealth-generating activities. And that's really the key here and the focus is trying to um, provide some capital, some resources to young people who otherwise don't have resources or capital so that they can start uh, to build a strong financial foundation for themselves and break this generational cycle of poverty. So the four um, uses are to to buy a home in Vermont, uh, to start a business or invest in a business in Vermont uh, for higher education or for job training, uh, or to roll the money over uh, into one's retirement. So they're all designed to uh, both help the individual, um, but also, particularly in the case of um, buying a home in Vermont and starting a business in Vermont or investing in a business in Vermont, uh, designed to help uh, the broader Vermont communities and and Vermont economy as well. And what would this cost? You say $3,200 invested at birth for children, babies uh, in families on Medicaid. What would that cost as at, you know, on day one? Yeah. So the, the estimate um, is between 6.4 to $7 million a year. And that is based on the number of births that we have in Medicaid every year, which are between 2,000 to 2,100 in the last few years. Um, so that's the estimate in terms of um, the cost. Now that money, you know, multiplies over the years and really has um, a much more substantial impact by the time that it's deployed um, in the form of baby bonds across communities uh, in Vermont. So that's one of the things I like about the program. There's so many opportunities in the public service and in the private sector to think about um, immediate uh, issues and to try to, you know, have a 
a, a focus on the here and now, which is critical and which is important. Um, but sometimes it's nice to step back and think longer term and try to um, make some investments uh, and design some policies and create some programs uh, that will uh, end up working really well over the long run. Um, and you have to wait a little while till you get the full benefit of them. Uh, but certainly by the time the program is implemented and individuals are receiving the benefit of it, uh, you can imagine um, how happy uh, those individuals will be and how happy policymakers will be uh, as uh, as those um, individual investments are being put into the Vermont economy. So this would be a state program, and I'm thinking of my good friend Bill Sayre, uh, everyone's favorite free market uh, economist, who who might say, and if you Bill, if Bill, you're out there listening, I'd love to hear your <laughs> view on this. Uh, that that this is a role that that perhaps the state might not be into uh, sh- should be getting into. On the other hand, the goal here is to get people off of Medicaid uh, by all of us investing in these baby bonds, so that people have some can generate wealth uh, by the time they're 18, right? Yeah, you know, that's exactly right, Kevin. And um, when you look at Connecticut and the coalition that they had there in passing their proposal, it was bipartisan um, and it was broad. And that's what we're trying to um, achieve here in Vermont. I think the policy um, is something that um, sort of people of different political persuasions can be interested in and support because of the point that you're making. Uh, On the one hand, um, it's rather rooted in in capitalism uh, and in free markets. You're providing people capital. You're allowing them to make decisions, starting a business, investing in themselves. On the other hand, it's progressive. It's giving individuals direct cash uh, for them to make certain decisions. But ultimately, what the objectives are, again, to end or to try to you know, start to um, chip away at this generational poverty issue um, to make individuals more self-sufficient in the future, uh, to make their children, you know, more self-sufficient in the future because they're going to be their children are going to be starting from a better financial uh, starting point. Um, to make uh, the reliance on government benefits and government services over the long term less likely. Um, those are some of the policy outcomes that you um, are hoping for with this program, which, again, I think is something that both conservatives and liberals um, could identify with uh, and support. You know, the other thing and, that I think is re- – oh, go ahead, Kevin. Well, no, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just going to uh, add that the, that money would be invested in the market, which uh, there could be an ancillary benefit of – uh, I assume through the program you might be able to uh, uh, follow the growth of your bond, and that teaches that that Vermont kid about how money works and how the market works. Yeah, no, absolutely right. There, you know, one of the um, you know one of the immediate benefits of the program and, and something Connecticut has built in, and we have followed their footsteps. Um, is trying to maximize the opportunity for financial uh, literacy education as part of the program. So right. in Connecticut, they have a requirement that you um, you know pass a financial literacy course or take a financial literacy course before getting um, your baby bond. But they have a vision that's much more expansive than that, including providing statements, providing access to 
see how um, you know your portion of the bond is is growing uh, over time. I think how we envision it is that you can really provide focused and targeted financial literacy um, programs for initially families of individuals that have a child that has a baby bond. Uh, as those children grow up, the programs can be more targeted to the children. Um, you can imagine financial literacy programs designed to talk about what do you need to think about when you're buying your first home? What does it take to start a business? What are the pros and the cons of going to um, higher education or job training? And that is a real important component of this. It's real life financial literacy. It's not academic or theoretical because there is a specific investment that an individual is going to have access to at some point, and they're going to need to make a decision about how best to use it. So I think that's an important part of um, of the program is, is that ability to help families, but also help individuals um, make smart financial decisions, uh, and then to give them the capital to be able to do so as well. Yeah. So uh, I noticed that uh, Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey has been a big proponent of this on a federal level, but this is this would be just a Vermont program, and you've proposed it. Is it in a bill that's being considered by the legislature? Yes, it is. So Cory Booker did um, on both points. Yes, Cory Booker proposed this legislation at the federal level. There is still a federal bill. Um, Senator Sanders and, and Senator Welsh have both uh, signed on to the Senate bill that exists at the federal level that would um, provide uh, a similar kind of baby bond. Um, it's a more robust program. It is a, a much larger amount of funding uh, here in Vermont. Since it's a state-based program, we tried to be more practical with um, really um, making the administration pretty pretty small and pretty easy by uh, picking a program that already exists, Dr. Dinosaur, Medicaid, and using that as an eligibility criteria. So we can sort of piggyback on that work that's already happening. Um, and then we have it more targeted to those um, individuals that grow up in, in the more impoverished families uh, in Vermont. So there are a number of states that are moving forward with baby bond legislation because um, they think they'll have more success at the local level. And that's our hope as well. Uh, we will have a bill uh, in the House and in the Senate. Uh, on the Senate side, uh, Senator Rom Hinsdale is our lead sponsor. Um, on the House side, Representative Dan Noyes is our lead sponsor. I think combined between the two um, chambers, we have over 75 uh, legislative co-sponsors as well at this point. So that includes um, independents and a couple of Republicans and some progressives and largely Democrats. So we are starting to build that um, coalition across party uh, to support this concept. Um, and one thing I should mention, Kevin, one of the things that I think for a place like Vermont, where why this is so um, such an interesting policy to think about, is we often hear uh, in Montpelier that you know our rural communities are. Um, underinvested in, uh, that they're, they're, they have different challenges than other parts of our state, and policymakers need to recognize that and, and respond to it. And this is the kind of program that will have a disproportionately beneficial impact to more rural communities of Vermont. Um, there's more childhood poverty in rural communities. There's more children born on Medicaid in our rural communities. Um, just as an example, you know, there are is uh, about two and a half times the population in Chittenden County, uh, yet 
There is uh, about the same number of births on Medicaid between Chittenden County and the Northeast Kingdom. Uh, so the Northeast Kingdom has in excess of 50% of all of their births um, on Medicaid. Um, Chittenden County, on the other hand, is in the mid 20% in terms of babies born onto Medicaid. So we'll have a disproportionately beneficial impact um, in those rural communities as individuals are receiving those baby bonds in those communities and making decisions about how to invest in themselves and how to invest in communities. Our guest uh, today is State Treasurer Mike Pichak, and he, we're talking about his proposal uh, called Baby Bonds, which is the investment of money for, uh, I'm going to call them poor Vermonters uh, at birth, and then watching that uh, money grow so they can use it uh, as something of a nest egg for college or other important imp- expenses when they're eight, between 18 and 30. Treasurer Pichak, um, I, I, you talked about a literacy uh, ed- literacy education earlier. That that uh, that rang a bell in my head because any literacy test, uh, financial literacy test, is something that I would not pass. So let me ask you <laughs> a a really dumb question: What happens to the money you said it? You you said thirty two hundred dollars at birth goes into an account. What happens to that money if the you know, we all assume the market will continue to go up, but what happens if the market tanks? What happens to that money? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. And, um, you know, I think some of the opportunity for financial literacy will um, obviously be around our financial markets. Um, and there'll be some transparency as to how the money is being invested. But, you know, if the program is established and, and you're looking at putting a portfolio together on day one, you know that you have 18 years um, at the very least uh, to invest these funds. So you're going to want to have them in a more of an equity based uh, portfolio. And um, as an individual gets closer to the age of 18 to 30, when they might use those funds, um, then you're going to have to rethink the portfolio and have it be a little more balanced in case there is a big, um, you know, financial downturn, uh, particularly if that downturn happens the year before you want to use your baby bond. So there's no guarantee under the program. It doesn't create any liability for the state. Um, we obviously will uh, invest it and do it at a low cost, in a low cost way to make sure um, as much of the money is and ends up going to the individual as possible. But understanding the markets and understanding the risk that's associated with the markets um, will certainly be something that has to be built in to the um, program. And if somebody is thinking about using the money um, at age 20, but the market is not doing very well and they can wait a few more years to buy a home, then that might be a a consideration that they're going to want to think about uh, at the time of uh, choosing their bond. So the idea will be to have a portfolio that you know works for the uh, population. You know that is aggressive for for some, is uh, scales back and is more conservative for others as they get closer to the age of using um, the baby bond. Um, but it'll be um, it'll be something that is a, a quite an interesting um, project to, to put together the right balance uh, in that portfolio. So it's not it's not a, a bad question or a silly question by any means. A very interesting and fascinating question on how exactly they put that together. Okay. Let's, we have a caller on the line with a question about this and I 
uh, and I have many myself. Uh, Catherine, you're on the line. Uh, welcome to the show. You've got State Treasurer Mike Pichak on the line with us. All right. Kevin, it's very interesting, your topic, and I think it will be a goal. But you've got to name it something besides poor Vermonters. They already know they're poor. That pegs them. We don't want to do that. That's it from here. Yeah, Catherine, that's a great – I'm sorry I stumbled over the use of that word. Um, I know that the treasurer probably has a better word. We're, we're talking about uh, folks on Medicaid, and you're right, uh, tagging them as poor is a mistake, my bad. So, how, Mike, how do, we, how do we get away from labeling people up when we talk about this issue? Well, I think the, the program, you know, calling it baby bonds, you know, I think it's sort of a, a universally liked – you know, name in terms of the, the program name. And then I think the, the concept of it, of, of trying to tie um, a person's um, financial situation at birth, which they had nothing to do with, you know, no fault of their own, whether they were born into a family with a lot of means or not a lot of means. Um, but the thing that we should be helping uh, to do uh, is providing the ladder uh, for those individuals to climb uh, into the middle class. Um, I think baby bonds would be an important rung on that ladder uh, because, uh, you know, financial mobility, um, financial success, unfortunately, is not guaranteed for a big uh, portion of um, of children that are born in this country and, and born in Vermont. So I think we obviously don't want to stigmatize uh, poverty. And again, when you're talking about babies and children that were born into families that they have nothing uh, to do. It's their circumstances, nothing to do with what those circumstances are. Um, I think that's partly the beauty uh, of the program, um, trying to provide some equity uh, across the across the uh, across the economy. Uh, could we go back to the math and, uh, and and talk about how much would how many how many people on Medicaid, how much would be invested at birth? Uh, talk about the math and how it would work. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, 30 uh, on the individual level, you know, $3,200 would be set aside. Um, you're assuming, you know, something like a six and a half, seven percent. Maybe you get maybe you're 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 more um, successful and it's seven point five percent, but something in that range. Um, so thirty two hundred dollars in 18 years, you know, becomes um, uh, about eleven thousand five hundred dollars. Uh, at the age of 30, about uh, $24,000. Um, so you can think of that uh, in terms of the uh, full population as well. You know, that $6 million investment or so will grow into the low $20 million, and that's how much money would be deployed across that uh, particular, um, you know, set of babies that are born in a particular year. So that investment that you're making, both at the individual level and in the aggregate level, has an outsized impact uh, over time. Um, in terms of a particular year, uh, that $6.4 million to $7 million of annual cost, um, that's coming, again, from the, the concept that, that when you're looking at Medicaid births, we have generally in the last few years in Vermont had between 2,000 and 2,100 births uh, on Medicaid. Uh, so that $3,200 multiplied by what the exact number of uh, children are that are born on Medicaid, that gets you to your um, programmatic cost on an annual basis. Um, so that's something that, um, you know, we think can have quite a big impact on uh, on individuals. 
and we think um, as designed, it's quite targeted uh, and uh, and has a uh, likelihood, uh, like Connecticut, of being uh, quite successful both in the short, short term, uh, but also um, in the long term when the program's fully implemented. And I suspect the those at the House and Senate Appropriations Committee who 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 like to focus on long term but inevitably focus on the right. short term might might say to you, "Oh, this is not the year to do another uh, a new six million dollar per year line item program." Uh, how do you answer that concern? Yeah, well, you know, I think there's um, there's two thoughts I have on that. One is the the concept that we've um, brought forward in terms of the potential funding stream um, is to use something called the the annual transfer from the unclaimed property fund that our office manages that currently goes into the general fund. Um, and the reason we suggest that is because it's a, it's a dedicated revenue source. Um, it's a revenue source that's been growing, you know, over the last couple of decades. So we don't expect it to um, all of a sudden shrink up. Um, but then also, and probably most importantly, from a budgetary standpoint, um, it's an amount of money that isn't always easy to budget. There's uh, oftentimes a um, estimate that's put into the budget of a few million dollars, uh, but then ultimately the amount that comes in after the budget has been settled is, um, you know, five, six, seven million dollars more, sometimes even more than that. So in the short term, it's a it's a hard amount of money to budget for, but in a program like this that has a longer term trajectory and a longer term horizon, uh, I think it actually would be a good source of funds. So. You know, that was a suggestion um, in terms of a way we could use existing revenues to support a program like this, um, even, you know, obviously in a, in a year that is not potentially as flush with cash as we've seen in the past. Um, so that's sort of the, the one. And then number two, you know, I think a program like this, um, you know, it's going to take time to, to fully get the benefit of it. Um, but I do think there'll be uh, a significant uh, benefit. And it's sort of like that old proverb about, you know, the best time to plant a tree. Um, and in this case, I think it, it, it's best to start the program, you know, as soon as we can uh, so that we can start to get um, those benefits to, to young Vermonters um, as quickly as we can. Well, uh, Republican Senator Randy Brock's going to join us uh, in the next hour. So we'll make sure to try to ask him about that. But, uh, Mr. Treasurer, you have been active in your first year in office on a bunch of other fronts. Um, having been around a while, I can't remember a, a treasurer being this active, uh, it, whether it's my Twitter feed or Instagram or or uh, any other channel. Uh, you seem to be everywhere, especially in my inbox with various uh, press releases, whether it's housing, flood recovery or financial equity. I wonder if you could talk about your first year in office and whether it has been what you expected it to be. Oh, I, we might've lost him. Uh, did oh, lose? there we go, Kevin. I was on mute. Oh, oh, there you go. Oh, you, did, you did what I do every day. You were on mute. <laughs> Sorry about that. So, um, I was going to say I can't start talking about the first year in office without starting about talking about the person um, who'd been there for um, well over a decade as treasurer, but also as deputy treasurer, Beth Pierce. So I was very fortunate uh, to come into an office that um, was very strong uh, in terms of um, the individuals in the office, the way that it was run, um, the way that it's perceived by legislators and 
stakeholders and, and the general public. So that um, was a critical foundation to, to start any work on. And, um, you know, one of the programs that we started out of the, out of the box on was this program called Vermont Saves, uh, which is designed to provide a uh, publicly administered retirement plan for Vermonters that don't have access uh, to uh, retirement. Now, this was a concept that had started uh, under um, Beth's time in office, and it was something that we were able to, um, you know, get uh, over the finish line that work. So that's an example of carrying on that work that was uh, in place um, in the treasurer's office. But the Vermont Saves Program, you know, tens of thousands of Vermonters don't have access to retirement. And just like the other conversation we're having about baby bonds, thinking about long term, if you don't have access to retirement, the data shows you don't save for retirement. And when you don't save for retirement, you have a much less secure retirement. You're much more financially dependent on government. Uh, It puts a amount of pressure on our state budget. Um, It uh, gives people um, a much lower standard of living than they had when they were working. And uh, we want to try to solve for that. So by simply providing this uh, program at no cost to an employer and no cost to the uh, ongoing cost of Vermont uh, taxpayer, uh, we think it's a smart policy. Um, another thing that we um, expanded uh, in the first year was this uh, local investment program. So the ability of the treasurer's office to invest locally uh, in the economy. Uh, we identified uh, housing as being the number one economic challenge we were facing in our state. When you hear um, from employers who can't hire uh, the workers that they need to to even do the business that they have, let alone to expand, uh, because those potential uh, employees can't find housing. You know, you you hear that story throughout the state. So um, we're really proud about um, expanding that program, and at least at the onset here, making fifty five and a half million dollars of low interest loan investments in housing that uh, we expect to um, support about eleven hundred units of housing across the state when combined with um, other federal, sorry, other, other public and private uh, capital that it'll be uh, leveraged with. So, so that is something we've been, um, you know, we were really uh, quite excited about. And, and then of course, something that took everybody um, a little bit by surprise. I mean, we know that the climate is changing. We know that severe weather is changing, but the July flooding, uh, you know, was something that everybody had to work and, and respond to in this, uh, you know, during this last year. And, you know, we we announced a, a municipal loan program to try to um, help municipalities uh, cover the costs and also be able to carry the costs of recovery until there are FEMA reimbursements, which sometimes can be months, if not years, uh, into the future. So I thought that was an important program for, for municipalities, though, um, be an announcement uh, by the Vermont Bond Bank, who we partnered with uh, to execute on this uh, in the next month about um, which communities are getting what to help them uh, you know, lessen the burden on their tax base uh, in terms of um, having a lower uh, lower cost loan than they otherwise might have. So those are some of the programs that we've been you know we've been focused on. But you know, uh, again, fortunate to have a great team at the treasurer's office and. Uh, fortunate to be able to um, get to work on these issues. It's been quite a pleasure to serve Vermont in this way after um, having served Vermont for for about eight eight or nine years, you know, in a uh, much different capacity, um, in an appointed capacity. Um, so definitely a different challenge, but one that has been uh, very rewarding this last year.
is it what what was what's been the biggest surprise uh in your first year <laughs> in office well it's got to be which i joked about earlier in my term um you know when i walked in and i really didn't have an office <laughs> so the the bgs the buildings and grounds had uh you know decided that um you know the furniture hadn't been changed in in a number of decades and uh uh, you know, and the carpet needed to be changed too, I guess. So I walked in and all the furniture is up against the wall and, um, and I didn't actually move into the office until sometime in April. And then unfortunately we were out of our building, uh, in July and, uh, haven't really settled back into the pavilion. It just opened up in the last week or so. So, so one of the big surprises has had, has had to have been, um, you know, the lack of, uh, of actually having an office. And uh, maybe that's partly what's kept me, uh, you know, on the on the run and being visible is you, you got to uh, you can't sit behind a desk because uh, for much of my time in office, I haven't had one. <laughs> um, you know, I want to take uh, one more call. We've only got about a minute left. Renee, you're on the line with the treasurer. Go ahead. Uh, I, I like your program on, on the, the baby bonds, but. If you could uh, maybe stretch it out so grandparents could uh, hit kids <laughs> that are two or three, maybe four years old, um, it might be advantageous. Yeah, I like that, Renee. I mean, that really strikes home to me because that was my experience, if I understood you correctly, about about other family members, you know, chipping in. And, uh, and that's something Connecticut is looking at. And one of the good things of following another state um, that I've is that you – get the benefit of their collective wisdom and, and their, um, innovation. So, uh, that, that's certainly something that um, we can think about in, in terms of this program. I appreciate that, that concept, that feedback. Uh, you know, one thing I have not asked you, and I think we have about 30 seconds left is, uh, our climate investments. I know you're in charge of that. It's, it's, and it's controversial about, um, does Vermont continue to invest dollars in, uh, fossil fuel companies. What's the what's the update on that? I've never been quite clear. Yeah, so right now there's a bill. If people are interested, it's S42. Um, it passed the Senate. It's in the House, um, and it's a it's a bill that would, um, in my view, require um, a framework with a longer term perspective uh, around moving away from fossil fuel investments. And with that framing and with that concept, I support that. Uh, you can't. Um, do it quickly um, or too quickly, I should say, because, uh, you know, there's market impacts, but there's also practical limitations. We don't have full control over all of our uh, investments in the pension fund. So it's something that has to be done with a, a longer horizon. Um, and just from a risk perspective, I think it's something that um, we need to incorporate because I don't believe uh, many of those fossil fuel companies are going to have as successful uh, of a financial future as they've had a, as a as a financial past. Uh, so, just from a risk standpoint, I think it's something that's important for us to um, have a, a program and a plan around. Okay, State Treasurer Mike Pichak, as always, uh, it's great to have you on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Okay, Mike Pichak. Baby Bonds, and a lot more. Uh, it's Kevin Ellis, and it's Vermont Viewpoint. We're going to be right back with State Senator Randy Brock uh, to talk about the legislature in its second week and all the rest. So come back with us and stay tuned. After these messages, we'll be right back. You're listening to WDEV. WDEV.